This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me This. It still it still stops me in my tracks, Brian, when we say season three. So maybe by, you know, the fourth or fifth episode, I'll get used to it. <laughs> uh, so good to see you this morning. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Good morning. Yeah. So um, if you remember, um, for folks who haven't listened yet, you should go back and check the introductory uh, episode for this season. We did a little reminiscing about the summer and sharing some of the books we actually had a chance to sit down and read. Um, and I think related to that, we thought it would be fun because at the time of the recording of this episode, we were close to the the release of my book. So hopefully by the time you hear this, it'll be available and you should pick one up wherever it is sold. <laughs> which sounds very weird. Um, and so for folks who have been listening, the book is really about transitions. It's called Dancing with Discomfort, Learning to uh, <laughs> Notice, Name, and Navigate Our In-Between Moments. I'll need to practice that a little bit. I stumble over the fact that I wrote a book. So, um, And what, what I thought today, Brianne, we had talked about was sort of digging into what a transition really is because... I don't know about you, but unbeknownst to me, I had sort of my own notion of transition and it was mostly like all of us, anecdotal evidence based on my experiences and the work that you and I do, you know, around belonging, we really have dug into identity development, right? So a lot of what we've talked about, particularly around graduate students and doctoral students was sort of observing and experiencing with them these transitions. And so I feel like when I started out to write this book, I thought it was going to be a lot of digging into and learning more about identity development. And what I found is that there was a whole area of literature that I had sort of missed. Um, I mean, you and I had sort of started to tap into it with um, Dr. Nancy Schlossberg's work. We had, we had brought that into one of our articles. So um, yeah, so I thought we would dig in and we thought what a good place to start just the the sort of what of transitions. Um, does that sound okay to you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sounds okay. great. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So essentially the idea here is that, you know, transitions take all different shapes and sizes. Um, Nancy, Dr. Schlossberg suggests in some of her articles and in her book, she actually did her research from the context of social work and, and has written some later books on retirement, which is another example of a transition. 
And she actually suggests that people go through at least seven transitions during their lives. And I think when she's saying that, she's sort of talking about perhaps the bigger milestone kinds of transitions. But all of that, all of that is to say that we go through a multitude of transitions in our lives. They take all different forms. And when I say that, you know, they can be um, expected or unexpected. And we'll dig into that a bit. They can be a multitude of durations. Um, and I, I remember talking to Paula about her classroom because, you know, and, and her students, because when I started writing this book, I really wanted to make sure that I tapped into different contexts. And I and you were talking about doctoral students and their journey. And, and Paula was really quick to say, well, Carrie, when you think about this book, you also have to remember that sometimes the transition for, you know, helping students, it's like, do you remember this conversation, Brianne, where she was talking about <laughs> the first day of class? And she was like, some of these stages that you're talking about are going to be one on top of the other, right? Because like the first day yeah. of school, like so much happens in that moment. And so it can actually be a transition that's really compressed. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to happen over a long period of time. So, right. Cause weren't we talking about sort of ideally you have the sort of gradual buildup, sort of like what we're able to do with the incoming doctoral students now, where yeah. as soon as they're accepted, we start and systematically right. onboard, as we say, and like right. and help to facilitate that transition. And Paula was saying that is so great. And mm -hmm. for her, a train, you know, let's say a, a student starts new at her school. Yep. Uh, maybe it's not even the first day school. That's right. Their first day. Yep. Like all of those things have to happen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we were having this conversation. If you if you read the book, the one of the goals of the book was really to offer. I mean, I call it a framework that I don't that word framework is tricky, right? Because it's like we use that for really <laughs> like steadfast, long term frameworks that have been around for a while. But it's nonetheless, we, we tried to build or I tried to build a structure to sort of say as a leader, teacher, mother, peer, whatever, these are the steps or for yourself, these are sort of the stages that you could think about in terms of, you know, leveraging those moments. And so I had sort of vetted it with you and Kristen Barber and Paula. And when Paula saw it, she's like, well, sometimes it might be stretched out, you know, because right now I have it sort of circular and she's like, you might want to sometimes stretch it out. So it's linear. But then sometimes, and this was our conversation, sometimes it's all mushed together. <laughs> you know, you prepare, you practice, and you perform all in that one day, right, was her point. So, um, so yeah, so the, the, the regardless, the, the idea is they all take different forms. Um, and they can be, and I think this is something we often forget, is transitions can be both joyful and painful, right, um, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. So... As I dug into the literature, and it won't be a surprise to anyone, um, the interesting thing about these transitions is that human nature, right, we want to act. And you and I have talked about this a lot, Brianne, on the podcast, this idea that, you know, our, our sort of knee-jerk reaction is to do something. <laughs> I think it was, I can't even remember now, was it in the... Um, the burnout book that they talked about it. I'm trying to remember that it's been so long, but this, this notion that, um, we want to act. And when we act, Bethia, right. Yeah. That, I think it might've been, yeah. I go Bethia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and she was saying, and, and not only do we want to act, but when we act, it's often ineffective. <laughs> right. Um, and so in the book, I talk a little bit about this idea of, so, so we, there's some catalyzing thing happens that sort of marks a transition and it's not always that clear, but when that happens, we either 
our action is we run right through it, right? We're hasty. We're like, let just, just let me get through it. Almost imagine like running through, I don't know, a car wash, like as fast as you can, because you just want it to be over, right? Um, you walk around it, you sidestep it, or like you and I have talked about, you push it down, <laughs> right? And try to ignore it. Um, and the reality is, and again, I feel like these themes have come through so much on the podcast, Brianne, um, and you wrote about, you know, in the chapter you contributed to the book around reflection is the best thing we can do. And as hard as it is, is we got to sit in those moments, <laughs> right? We need yeah. to sit um, with that dissonance for sure. And Mesero, uh, we love Mesero. He talks about, he ta- doesn't necessarily talk about transitions per se, but he talks about this idea of a disorienting dilemma, right? And so, and he also says that, that disorienting dilemma has value when you stop and notice it and pay attention to it and, and engage in sort of critical reflection. And you touch on that in the, in the book as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so much in this book, Carrie, (laughs) um, (laughs) but I will say, as I was thinking about our episode today, one of the things that really struck me and, um, you know, as I was reading it is that a transition is so individual. I mean, Mm. And as we reflect on what we talked about last week, which is that we always bring our lived experience to whatever our current context is. Yeah. I can't, I can't separate those things anymore. So when I think about a transition, whether it's a job or school or um, a change of role within one of those things, Mm -hmm. so it may not be like as visible to the outside that we just bring all of that with us. And you wrote, um, uh, I can quote you. (laughs) incongruence and even consolidation of our current and new identities, but individuals in between then and later. So it's like, you're bringing it all here and you're kind of stuck in the middle of this place. And that position, that, that awkward dissonant place is really what the book is about. And I think, I just feel like everybody's, there's always something in transition in your life. Even if the big things seem to be pretty squared away, there's probably some smaller um, even questioning of like an impending transition. So I would definitely argue that the book is relevant to everybody mm-hmm. um, in that way. Um, we also, even though each moment of transition is so individual, I really liked how you highlighted a couple of things that are really universal. And those things are that transitions happen to everyone, mm-hmm. that they contribute to individual identity development. Right. So if you really sit with the transition and don't rush through it, yep. they elicit discomfort, uncertainty, and confusion. <laughs> yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> <laughs> they represent rich opportunities for lowering, learning and growing, which is, you know, true. And when you're in the middle of it, you're necess- not necessarily feeling that. But, yeah, you know, upon sure. reflection, you can probably see that. <laughs> yeah. Um, they require awareness, openness, preparation, practice, and support. Mm-hmm. True. Times yeah. five. Um, and that they require ongoing reflection and recalibrating. Mm. And so it's just kind of a lived journey. And I was like, God, she nailed it. Like, even though it's (laughs) so individual and that you and I could, you know, be walking into, I mean, I can share an example of going into the doctoral program, right? Like my classmates and I were walking into the same exact courses. We had the same kind of program ahead of us. And that experience was so different, of course, for each of us based on what we were bringing to it. with our past experience and our current family life and context and everything. So um, despite the differences, there's also all these similarities. And I just was struck, of course, by the paradox of that. 
yeah. all the way through. Yeah, it's yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, I I completely agree, and I think what you and I have learned, and I was talking to somebody yesterday saying, you know, part of the reason I set out to do the podcast and we're doing this together, and the work that we do is we need to unearth and surface and share that commonality, right? We can yeah. we can hear the differences, and I think it's important to hear the commonality because you're, you're never alone in, in what you're feeling, in, in what you're feeling probably, right? Like there's probably some overlap, even though we each have our unique journey. Um, you definitely aren't alone in, in your journey. So I think that's, uh, super important, um, to remember and, you know, we'll get into the implications a little bit later, but, um, yeah, it's just critical. You know, if, if, if we remember that this podcast is also about belonging, um, that is something hugely important to remember as, as our students and, you know, peers and colleagues and coworkers enter different spaces and that we could be ex- at any given moment, as you said, someone could be feeling both that, that uncertainty and that joy, right. <laughs> In those moments. Yeah. Um, for <laughs> sure. I think it's, you said, you know, that these represent rich opportunities for lo- learning and growing. It made me think Brianne that when we meet with doctoral students early on saying something like that, it's almost like they give us in a very nice way, like the collective eye roll. Right. Oh yeah. It's like, (laughs) please. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of, again, part of the book is really trying to help us shift our mindset so that, yeah, we can joke and give the collective eye roll, but like, wouldn't it be awesome at some point? And I think we, you know, in our work together, um, I can think of times when we've been writing papers or working on presentations, we actually do say like, oh my God, this is like so hard and we need to keep going because it's so good. Right. Like, I think there are moments where you can in the moment appreciate that learning. Yeah. And I hope that as people read the book and try some of the things in the book that even if you can't do it all the time, even being able to do it some of the time will reduce the anxiety and uncertainty that you feel. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to do that with my classes. Sometimes I've been more deliberate about it. You know, if we, if we get through a hard unit or they finish a big exam or something, I'm like, guys, hold on. Like, (laughs) look at what you just did. That was so much like four weeks ago when you thought about having to take this exam and learn all this material, you were like, this is so daunting. It'll never happen. Like, let's just take a pause. Yeah. Um, And I actually have had them do like a little kind of structured reflection. Like, what did you do? Well, what, what, what are you going to do differently next time? What did you learn? Um, kind of after each exam, because I think there's value in, in the stopping. Yes. Even in the middle of it, right. Not at the end of the course. Totally agree. Totally agree. And there, there are things that in the book that, um, you know, give you some ideas on how to do that, but I think you're right. Just that I would, I would encourage anybody who's listening, you know, try in your, and I think both of us have done this try in your daily work, you know, one time during the day, stop something and appreciate or note it, right? Notice like what it is that's going on. And I have found in, in meetings and, you know, with, with groups of individuals, even if it's a stop to say, I just want to acknowledge all the work that you're doing and give you gratitude, right? Like just the the stops can be for different reasons, but just stopping in those moments can really um, help with, with managing those transitions for sure. 
Um, and you know, I, I dug, I continued to dig into the literature and, you know, you, you hit it already with these opportunities for, I, I, I talk a lot about life and transitions as just messiness. I don't know how else mm. to, <laughs> to describe it. Yeah. It just feels like mess. And in fact, I think in the book, I talk later on in the book, I talk about my kids and, um, our kids, Susan and my kids, you know, they love art projects and they love, there's a story in there about them doing painting. And I always leave that project to Susan. Cause I am admittedly can't stand the messiness of an art project, but my kids look at that mess as nothing but possibility. And imagine if we as adults with all of our filters could even take one sliver of that feeling of possibility when we look at our own chaos and mess of life possibility, right? What would happen in your day if you could change that? And so, um, yeah, so, so messiness is sort of a, a I have a love hate relationship with messiness. Um, I have a mostly hate relationship. Yeah. With <laughs> <laughs> and um, then I and force myself to look back and find yeah. positive. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Paula Clark, Dr. Clark, um, put pointed me and pointed me to a um, article by Miriam um, where where the author says or reminds us that preparing and navigating our transitions requires us to lean into our discomfort. So, um, you know, not only do we have to to notice and name it, now we have to lean into it and, and try to do something with it. So I didn't say this work was easy, <laughs> but look, I mean, the thing is, the reality is this work is coming like this transitions come. Right. And so you have choices to make. You can push them down, sidestep them, try to move away from them, ignore them, and just know that they're not going to go away, right? They're, as you said last, la the last time uh, we talked, the last episode, these experiences follow us into these spaces. They just, they don't disappear. And so we have a choice to make. We can do those things that we usually do, or we can stop and name them and try to work with it. And I don't know, it's hard, but I've over the years, just realize it's better to just sit in it for a little while and then move through it and use whatever you learn in it. But <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> just to give folks, we've talked a little bit about different transitions, you know, Brianne mentioned um, doctoral studies and, and Paula Clark teaches in sort of the K to 12 setting. And of course, I, I was thinking about my grandmother as I, I usually do when I'm prepping for our podcast episodes. And I was reminded of, you know, she, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but she and my grandfather literally got married. And then my grandfather went off to World War II for like, I don't know, 18 months. Um, and so I was thinking about her transitions and, you know, getting married, being a married woman with her husband overseas during a war. And when he came back, they ran a confectionery, which if you don't know that word is basically a candy store. Um, she owned a laundromat. And I remember her telling me stories of owning a laundromat and having her three daughters in tow, you know, going to the, to the laundromat and, you know, then working at a grocery store. And that's where she spent um, many years. And I remember visiting her there and, um, and of course, you know, buying and moving into their first house. And so these transitions can be those sort of typical kind of expected ritualistic kinds of milestones. Right. And that's sort of an example uh, of those. And there are so many others um, for us last year, it was our kids starting kindergarten and riding buses and time away from parents. Um, but it can also be unexpected losses 
um, an unexpected transition. So <clears throat> if you think about, you know, an unexpected death in the family, um, if you had, you know, uh, tried to buy a house and the contract fell through or, um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people out there remember not being picked for a group or not getting into the college that you wanted to, or, you know, the gosh, Brianne, the book, you know, identity theft, I think is a really good example of a lot of characteristics of a transition, which was unexpected, hard, long, you know, so any kind of injury um, that you might sustain really, I don't know that we use words like transition to describe injury, but after right. I read identity theft, I was like, oh my God, that is, that is a total transition, of course. So I don't know if you thought that when you read it, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then um, of course, yeah, go ahead. I'll jump in. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just finishing, you know, the, the other sort of thing I think about with transition is this idea of becoming, and then I sort of left a blank there, you know, fill in the blank parent, a teacher, a sister, a brother, whatever that new role or identity you might take on at any uh, given time in your, during your life. So, yeah, I mean, I think those are such great examples and everybody can relate to some of them for sure. Maybe yeah. most people can relate to all of them. Mm -hmm. There's one on our list that you skipped over, but I'm going to actually pull it, which is relocating. And mm. I think when we think of relocating, we think of a move, you know, but I will share a transition that feels much less substantial than the ones that you're talking about in terms of big life shifts, but uh, one that I'm experiencing right now just at work. So we, um, our department at my university has always been uh, in a dorm, which is kind of a strange place to have an academic department, but it yeah. was there year, many, many years ago because we had a clinical facility there and it just stayed. And it was fine. It was our space. It was our own space, which was kind of nice. Um, and also it was in a dorm. So, you know, you're stepping over various things <laughs> to get to work every day, yeah. right? Because a whole bunch of college students live in one place. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's just sort of a, a feeling about the place that's different than what you would expect from an, an academic building. Yeah. But it had become our own and it was, I am an alum of the university. So I've been going there for like 20 years to this one <laughs> building, to these same hallways. Um, and we moved, we just moved um, this year up to a different building. It's brand new. They gutted an existing building, like down to the studs and then added this gorgeous glass kind of addition to it. So it's really, really nice. Um, and I got to see it yesterday for the first time. Mm. And this transition is great because it's so, it's just beautiful and nice and new and bright. And frankly, after the year that we all had last year, it feels like the best time for such mm -hmm. a fresh start. Yeah. Um, in the transition though, I found myself like really reflecting on what I wanted to leave behind and what I mm -hmm. wanted to bring with me oh, from the old space yeah. and kind of the old way of being. And there's the literal packing because our, you know, the space was actually shifting. Um, and so we packed up in the spring and then all of the things were in storage. And then yesterday I just went and, you know, when you, you move to a new place, you almost forget what you've packed and like yeah. where you packed it. <laughs> so I was unpacking the boxes and some things I'm like, why did I even bring this? Did I think I was going to read this book? I never read it before. Why would I read it now? So, you know, kind yeah. of going through some things again, but it's an idea that we used to share. I used to share with first year students a lot. And that is you have this fresh start. What are things that you'd like to leave behind? And mm -hmm. what are some things that you'd like to take with you and things mm -hmm. you'd like to leave behind for them? I would talk about, you know, maybe like friendships that weren't great, but you held on to them because they were convenient mm. um, or things about yourself that you don't really love. And maybe you could work on a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. with this new group of people who don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, 
And I kind of felt similarly yesterday, like, oh, this is a chance to just take a deep breath after last year and, mm. and start again. So it's a different type of transition. It's not as monumental. And yet we still have this opportunity to reflect and kind of make it something more than just a move across campus. Yeah. I mean, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I can't wait to, I want to see pictures of the space. I can't wait to see it. It sounds beautiful. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think, nice. I mean, part of, I guess what we're talking about here, Brian, is I don't think a transition has to be monumental for it to be significant and matter. Right. And, right. and it's interesting that you mentioned sort of after the year we've had sort of feeling like a, not, I don't know if it's a fresh start, but just like new beginnings or however you want to coin it. But, um, the church that I, that I attend, I'm, um, on the parish committee. So I, I get to sort of make some interesting decisions for the church. And one thing we've been talking about is as we return in the fall, of course, that's sort of up in the air right now, given what's going on. But as we turn in the fall, one thing we've been talking about is what can we do in the space to mark a return? Because we've been out of the sanctuary for over a year. And so, um, so we, so we've just been talking about cool things we can do with painting and getting the congregation involved. And so I think, you know, relocation doesn't have to be necessarily even, you know, a big move, like right from East coast to West coast or something. It's taking up new space in, in the college, the university, like you did, or maybe it's, you know, changing the way a space looks right. That can yeah. mark a transition for people and sort of so I, I love that you brought that, that, that example up. So that was cool. Um, so as, as you, even if you just open the beginning of the book, you'll see, um, you know, the chapters and what I've tried to do in the beginning is I was really interested in, in sort of exploring the, the sort of, you know, who, what, where, why kinds of questions. And so in this episode, Brian, I thought it might be fun to dig in mostly to the what, I mean, the who, you know, there's a bit about identity development and a talk of Erickson and sort of thinking about, you know, yourself over time and that when you have this sort of what he calls the cl this clash, right, or bumping up of identities, um, there's confusion that emerges. And if you don't sort of resolve or manage that that confusion, it can create, you know, issues around your, your sense of identity. And so um, and that's really where you know, some of this transition happens is you're sort of, you're in that, in those, whatever you want to call it. Um, some people call it, some liter, uh, researchers call it the neutral zone. Um, uh, Victor Turner calls it lim liminal spaces. So like those, literally those like being on both sides, um, you know, so whatever you want to call it, it's sort of that space in between. Um, I think even Turner calls it like betwixt in between <laughs> mm -hmm. moments. Um, so, so that's really what we're talking about. And, and I, I'm telling you, Brian, when I got into the literature, like I had no idea this guy. So this guy, Victor Turner back in the sixties, um, was doing research, um, you know, more around communities who had, were really ritualistic in their sort of marking of milestones and, and, you know, these ideas of rites of passage. So literally you can imagine like, young men coming of age and going on journeys and, and those kinds of rituals. And so he, and then Van, I think it's Gannep. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but in, in 2019, they really building off of his work, they really define transitions with a lot of structure and clarity and sort of moving from one milestone to the next. Um, and so it was really fun to, to sort of think about um, the different ways that people 
conceptualize transitions. Um, and then, as I mentioned, you know, there was uh, Schloss, Dr. Schlossberg, Nancy Schlossberg, who did all of her work mostly in social work and counseling. And then she, I think she's written definitely one book, possibly two books on retirement. And so she talks about transitions as really adaptation to change, like what's, you know, what's going on with individuals and how are you managing these, these, um, what she calls also triggering episodes. So she talks about these triggering episodes as sort of these moments or events that perhaps mark that transition. And I don't know if you want to dig into the, the quote that you highlighted, um, but I love that you picked it up because I had forgotten it for a moment. So I'm going to let you talk about that a little bit because I feel like it's a good spot. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's so many great lines in this <laughs> book, but um, one, as I was reading, that just popped out. Um, it is, she, uh, Carrie writes, the change occurred, but the trans- transition was just beginning. Mm. So in other words, you may have assumed a new role at work. You've got a new title. You've moved homes, whatever the thing is. You're now in kindergarten. Um, but maybe that transition hasn't really happened yet. And so you're still bringing that old mindset to the new space. And then um, I connected it to the books that we mentioned in the last episode. So identity yeah. theft, which you mentioned earlier by Deborah Meyerson. So the change for her was uh, two strokes that she had. Mm-hmm. That's instant, truly instantaneous. The transition, however, to becoming a person who was a stroke survivor, who was able to use language and had come to terms with this new identity, I would say is still evolving. She would probably say mm-hmm. still evolving, yeah. uh, but certainly took years. I mean, it takes first weeks to get to through that acute phase and then months and, and years. So it takes a long time sometimes Mm -hmm. to, to actually make the transition, although the change has already occurred. And then uh, the master plan by Chris Wilson, which was the story of him um, going to prison. He does a beautiful job of trans of describing transition in ways that I think probably most of us can't relate to the actual, Mm -hmm. you know, context of of being in prison, but he talks about bringing his life from the streets and how he just brought that identity with him to prison. And during those initial days and weeks, perhaps months, he really didn't talk to anybody. He was just full of anger Mm. um, at himself, at the system, at his family. And these were things that he couldn't even touch because they were so deep and and hard to get to. Mm -hmm. And it just manifested in kind of a darkness that he talks Mm -hmm. about and like this silent anger and rage. And then he gradually transitioned to a person, a prisoner whose life could have purpose and meaning. Mm -hmm. And then he found inspiration and some people around him and, um, in books and learning. And he just lit up with, with that. And ultimately against all odds that we could imagine yeah. was released. And so he had this major transition that we know is, is a failure for a lot of people. Yeah. So many people end up, you know, back, back in prison in. recidivism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he didn't, and he was just determined to make the best of that transition. Yeah. And that took a lot of intention. So, I mean, I think he would read this book and be like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and, and he could probably contribute a chapter to it as well. Yeah. Um, so I just awesome. felt like, you know, the change occurred, but the transition was just beginning. Right. So he talks about, he said it took him about three years to adjust to life as a prisoner mm. and wow. to actually feel remorse for what he did in a way that if he were released he would maybe not do it again, right? And that he would actually mm-hmm. be able to, to reform his life as a returning citizen. Mm-hmm. And he has such an interesting discussion about that and, and the value of time and that reflection. So yeah. um, the change occurred, but the transition was just beginning, was a really powerful line uh, for me. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, to me, that's, you know, thank you for bringing that up because to me that, and I know we talked before we got on, um, on air that for me, that's like the crux of this, right? I think that's partly, I think honestly, now that I reflect on it, I actually think that point is what has motivated me in a lot of ways to do the work that you and I do. Like the reason Mm -hmm. to do the onboarding, because for so long I have felt like, and not just where I work, but just generally that we make assumptions about people. And the assumption is you're here in this job. You're here in this grad program. You made it to school. You made it to California from Maryland, whatever it is you're here. You, you did it. And, and, and what I want to say to people is yes, they entered a doctoral program and they're smart enough and capable enough and all of those things, but their change and transition, that identity is just beginning. (laughs) Right. And I just think we, for lots of reasons that we can talk about later, we just lose sight of that. And I, I don't want to lose sight of that because for me, that's like, well, we know from working with doctoral students for the past three years that if we don't attend to that identity development, they have real struggles, right? Um, or just it just makes the work harder. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm I'm glad that you you brought that because it's I mean I think feel like it's part of the reason we do the work we do <laughs> with our students. Yeah, I mean I can give an example just from last night. So yeah. I had a workshop with some incoming students, and it was about all about their problem of practice, which is the thing that they're going to research for their dissertation, and it's in the really early stages right now. And we talked about just kind of like what are you bringing to the space, and a lot of excitement and uh, nerves about what this would be. And I just said this is like a workshop in the truest sense. This is not polished. Please be casual. Don't try to sound smart. Just really just share what's going on. And like, let's take it down a notch. And it was great. And we talked about just this weird thing of like at work, you know, kind of what's happening. You're comfortable there. And this is a weird, unfamiliar, uncomfortable space. And we're all there. Mm -hmm. And after those sorts of statements, and you could just see like shoulders dropping and they just kind of (laughs) smile and laugh. Yeah. We had this great conversation mm. for 90 minutes about everybody's, you know, context, which were vastly different from one another. They were asking such good questions. And you could just feel that because we attended to sort of this identity and this transition. And I specifically said, this is such an uncomfortable feeling mm. and you're going to feel it a lot yeah. in this program, you know, of like thinking you've got a thought and you do have some good thoughts. And then maybe the next time you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. And I need yeah. to revise it. So familiarizing, first of all, like noticing and naming what this is, this is like uncomfortable because it's uncertain. Yeah. Um, and then sharing that they're going to be feeling that for a while. Yeah. I well, don't know, just kind of regulates that experience that they might be having. And maybe they don't feel as isolated and like, Ooh, they feel this because of some yeah. past experience that they had, you know, so. Or some flaw in themselves. Right. Cause that's where they immediately yeah. go. Right. Right. And one thing that I really like, and I think it's so important to keep driving home, particularly in like an education context, is that we're not just doing identity work or just doing content. We're doing both. Mm -hmm. So we had some brief discussion about this is uncomfortable. And then we had really intense discussion about their research. Yeah. So it's not in lieu of, it's in addition to, and I actually think it makes it better. I think they're, the guard comes down a little bit and they have that cognitive space bandwidth as we know, right. Yeah. To engage more deeply. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to articulate it, that it is, it's all about integration. And I think it's related to your earlier point about stopping, right? It's like pausing and noticing, look, and naming. It's like, 
we know the self-doubt and the uncertainty and the worry is in the air. So let's talk about it for a second and let's dig into your research, right? We have to do both of those things. And so being able to integrate those things, because, you know, at the end of the day, in that chapter on the what of transitions, I sort of go through the literature and I and I stumbled upon, literally stumbled upon, because again, this was a new area for me. Um, this article, it's Ibarra and Obaderu, I think, in 2016, and they had taken Victor Turner's work and 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 adapted it to sort of their own thinking. And and what emerged was that they feel like transitions are more fluid, that it's not an either or, and that what I understand, and again, I haven't read all of Victor Turner's work, so this is my interpretation is his inter- his sense of transitions were kind of rigid, right? You move from one to the other to the other. And these authors or the Ibera et al were saying, well, maybe it's not so clean, right? That the lines are sort of gray. And, and I really sort of glommed on to that. I liked that idea that, you know, it, it could be multiple narratives and that it was about really integrating pieces from you know, one side of the in-between moment and the other side and like finding a space that they could come together and, and maybe invent, reinvent something, right? Like invent something in a new way. And so I think that's what we try to do in a lot of ways with our doc students, right? Because you and I are really good at, I think really good at reminding them that they bring a lot of expertise into this space. And so how do you use that expertise to tackle this new thing, right? This new academic thing that you want to do. So for me, the the goal of these in-between moments is finding that integration for your identity, right? So that something new and really awesome comes out, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, I think the transition is messy. I think the change can be clean. So to go back to mm. your sentence from before, yeah, you know, because one day you're not a doctoral student, the next day you are. One day you're right. in this grade, the next day you're in that. Like there are yeah. some things that are actually very clean and easy yeah. to identify, but the transition is separate from that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I learned from reading your book. <laughs> yeah. I think the transition is, is separate. And I think from our conversation in the last episode, it's different for everybody, depending on your context, your experiences, your supports. Right. And so yeah. just figuring out how to honor that and, and so as we wrap up, Brianne, the other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, because we try to, I feel like we try to do this and I hope our, our, our listeners think this after we sort of, sort of dig into a, a topic, we like to talk about sort of calls to action or, or implications, right? Sort of the tangible. And so, you know, just to reflect on what does knowing about a transition and the characteristics of a transition, what are, you know, what does that mean for things like belonging and what should leaders, teachers, parents, managers, you know, why should, why should we care? Why does it matter? And so, you know, I think we've talked a little bit about why, at least I think it matters for belonging, because I think if, if, if what you say is true, and I agree with you that like most of the time we can mark the change, right. The catalyst, like getting on the bus for the first time, going to kindergarten, going to a new job, we can mark that. What we can't always know, we have assumptions, but who knows if they're right, is what's going on underneath, <laughs> right? And so in terms of belonging and, and making sure that we people are seen, we just, I feel like we have to honor that something's going on underneath. And so we have to create spaces to have those conversations. I don't know. What do you, what do you see in your, your students, your, your undergrads? 
and your oh master's students. Yeah. That it's critical. I mean, it's so critical and that I see a lot of uncertainty. And I also think that college is inherently a transition. Like all mm. four years are transitions and they're transitions for different times. So yeah. there's like transitions within the transitions. Yes. Um, and I think the university is actually very good at recognizing that. And they have programming that's specific yeah. to each year and kind of to where each student is as a whole. And then of course, the individuals are bringing their own experiences to that. So I think that there's some really good recognition of that mm-hmm. to begin with kind of overall. I'm sort of wrestling with an interesting piece of this. So I just this morning was asked to present to new faculty coming mm. into the university. I have a half hour <laughs> to talk about high impact practices and engaged learning in the half classroom. hour. How are you going to do half that? Hour. <laughs> I don't really know, but I'm like determined to get in you know, the things that I have to, which is a high impact practice list, um, which is like a, you know, evidence-based protocol thing. Yeah. And also belonging and identity and connection. (laughs) I'm like, how am I going to do this in exactly 30 minutes? Um, to me, the presentation wouldn't be complete if I didn't address it in some way. So, um, I guess that tells you how critical it is to me that when I have 30 minutes to share, this information. I'm like, I got to get it in, um, and prioritize it. So that's how I feel about it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. When I was thinking about this question, I actually thought about you and your students and wondering, cause I mean, I don't know anything about speech pathology other than, um, you know, what you've shared with me, but I certainly feel like there's, um, transitions that happen, um, for your students, I think about you teaching them things like anatomy and about aphasia and then going into like clinical settings. And I feel like there must yeah. be like some, I don't know. I just feel like that's a transition in some ways. I don't know. No, that's a huge transition. That brings a lot of stress and anxiety to them. Um, and in yeah. fact, the literature on stress in graduate students is very different than undergrads. So our undergraduates are oftentimes stressed about getting accepted into graduate programs. That's like the, the root of their stress graduate students on the other hand they're already in and they're really concerned about being the person who's delivering the services the clinical mm-hmm. services because there's a lot of like who am I to do this particularly with clients who are older than them so they find it generally easier to work with pediatrics oh, but if they're working with somebody like say Deborah Meyerson from identity theft they would yeah. think oh my gosh like I'm 25 and she's older than I am and how can I relate to her as mm-hmm. you know somebody who's trying to be respectful. And, and also you have this knowledge that maybe the client doesn't have, but they bring a lot more life experience. So it's a, Uh, it's a tricky rub of how to kind of find your professional voice in that context. Yeah. That sounds, yeah, definitely transitions for sure. Then Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) Um, I think, I think in addition, the other thing I was considering when I was prepping was, you know, strategies for leaders, teachers, parents. So, you know, certainly having an awareness that we make assumptions and being aware that these things are happening, just like, you know, that your students are going through and creating that space. I also feel like it has implications on our own self-reflection, right. And our own journeys. And I mean, I'm definitely guilty of it. Certainly was when I was younger of focusing on milestones. I mean, I, I joke now, but like, I remember, you know, okay, I'm, I'm in high school. Now I'm graduating from high school. Now I'm going to college. I'm graduating from college, getting a first job. Right. Like, and then I have to tell you, like I was, you know, initially I was so focused on those milestones and kind of just knew what my rites of passage, so to speak, were when I finished college and got a first job, I was like, so is this it? Like, (laughs) 
Yeah. I was like, what now? Right. It's like, <laughs> you just get in. I don't know if you experienced similarly, but I was like, I was just on this path. I was like, okay, check in the box, check in the box. And like, what, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. I had a couple more sort of structured, externally structured steps than that. Cause I did like a volunteer year between yeah. undergrad and graduate school. I knew that was a year. Mm-hmm. And then I knew that I was going right to graduate school. So I had the two years and then I had to do a fellowship year. So I oh, sort of okay. had a few more steps. Yeah. Um, after that though, it was like, Whoa, okay. Yeah. Now it's just like this big open <laughs> slate. <laughs> like what happens now? So, yeah. And, and I don't know, you know, as a parent, as we're both parents now, like thinking about what do you do to sort of navigate that? I guess it just always comes back to, and I know we've talked about this before is trying to really be present right in the moment and not, not, Yes. Having goals matters. Like, don't, don't, you know, don't get me wrong. I am so goal oriented, but figuring out a balance between having goals and being motivated to those goals and being able to be in the moment that you're in. Right. And sort of making the most, most of that. Um, So, yeah. And I think the other piece for me, as I think about transitions is the questions I ask myself are, you know, and I heard, I go, Bethia, say this, that, you know, um, we, I was talking about um, paradox and I, I'm trying to think what I said. And, and she said, well, it's really about multiple narratives, right? This idea of multiple narratives. And I just love mm-hmm. that we don't ever sort of, it, it, I think the point she was making was that we can't really just let go of anything. Like we're human beings. You can't just drop a part of yourself. Like it's, it's all about the multiple narratives and this idea of perhaps reinventing, reusing that part and integrating it into our next step. And so I feel like I don't, I haven't read the book. Um, I'm forget the master plan. I haven't read that book yet, Brianne, but I'm imagining as you were describing his situation that you go to, if you, I would imagine if you go to jail or prison, like that's not something that you ever shed. It's always going to be a part of his, his identity. Right. right? And, and, and I think the the struggle and the consolidation, the integration is he came to a point where he was able to accept, acknowledge, I I don't want to put words in his mouth, but like it became, it it integrated and he figured out how to move forward with that as part of his identity, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, if I were giving a call to action, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I think the simplest way to sort of start this kind of work, whether it's with a group you know, of students, of coworkers, colleagues, or just with yourself is to hold space, like just create a routine where, whether it's at the beginning of a meeting, if it's in the middle, when it's a longer meeting, just take, I sometimes call a timeout. (laughs) I'm, I'm such a sports person. Like I'll call (laughs) a timeout or add in, I mean, you and I are all about the, like, you know, quick prompts or temperature checks. I mean, there's all different things that you can call them, but just taking time to check in, you know, to, to, to process a little bit, to give individuals a chance to share. And I don't know about you, Brianne, but my experience has been that if I, as the facilitator or co-facilitator will acknowledge first how I'm feeling it like all of a sudden invites everybody else into the space. Like if I will be vulnerable for a moment, then I'm amazed and so excited about 
what people are willing to share, but I don't know what your experiences have been. Oh yeah, definitely. I like to participate in those also. I just think it kind of just uh, levels playing field, puts us all together and humanizes everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So, so unless you have another call to action, I think that's going to be our call to action for this episode. What do you think? No, that sounds good. Great way to wrap up. Yep. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, as you're walking through your day this week or wherever you are, um, just hold space, hold space for your spouse, your kids, your students, your coworkers, your colleagues, your neighbors, um, you know, whether it's agreement or disagreement, hold space for each other and take time to check in. It's a great way to start building community, to cultivate belonging and acknowledge that we're all going through some transition at some point <laughs> in our lives. So thanks so much for listening. Um, this has been another episode of Tell Me This. And Brianne, it was great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Under the glaciers of your last year Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.